Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to Intersectionality, where race, gender, and religion collide. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. Angela Raven Anderson. In this segment of Mutuality Matters, we look at how our understanding of who God is and who God is calling us to be is informed at this very intersection. And we take a look at the uh, ideas and thoughts uh, that undergird egalitarian, womanist, and liberation theology and look at how they give us a view, a perspective of God's kingdom that is embracing and restoring, uplifting, and transformative for those who would enter therein. Our view of God's kingdom is stretched and expanded when we consider and learn from the wisdom gain uh, from the lived experiences of women of color, women who live at this intersection. So let's listen to their voices as they move us beyond the stained glass ceiling. I am delighted to welcome to our show today, Dr. Carolyn Ann Knight. Dr. Knight is a passionate professor, pastor, and preacher. She is committed to the integrity of the discipline of homiletics, uh, particularly uh, as it refers to the African-American preaching tradition. She has been called sui generis. She has been called sui generis, a one-of-a-kind preaching voice for this generation. In fact, Dr. Cornell West says that she is an organic intellectual rooted in the best of the prophetic African-American preaching tradition. Dr. Knight has received many accolades, including being inducted into the prestigious College of Preachers by Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. She was also cited by Ebony Magazine in November 1997 as one of America's 15 greatest African-American women preachers. So today, Dr. Knight will share with us a bit about her journey as a woman called to preach. Dr. Knight, thank you again for being with us today. Well, thank you uh, very much uh, for having me. I'm delighted to be here and to spend these few moments uh, with you uh, in conversation. I pray it will be helpful. Yes, yes. Well, as we stated at the top of the broadcast, when we're coming into this space, we really are looking at the issues that are related to race, gender, and religion. And I remember uh, sharing this broadcast with a friend, a a male friend, and one of his uh, comments was, why is it that you say uh, uh, intersectionality where race, gender, and faith collide, and or race, gender, and religion collide? Well, and for women, it is oftentimes a collision. These things come together and they don't run smoothly for us. And so today, 
being that you are both uh, experienced as pastor and and have uh, experience in academia as as professor, I thought it would be great for us to have an opportunity to kind of talk about some of those collision points that you've experienced in your own personal journey. So. I wanted to start our conversation today really kind of at the beginning, uh, asking you about knowing how did you know when you were being called into ministry? Because for a lot of women, this is this is a hard space, uh, particularly if you have not had women uh, role modeling that in front of you before, or if you are not in uh, denominations or spaces that are uh, affirming of women in those spaces. So I'm just kind of curious for you, what was your experience as you were uh, first answering God's call into ministry? Uh, thank you uh, very much for, uh, first of all, uh, again, for having me for that gracious introduction and uh, also uh, for uh, uh, that question. Uh, and uh, my, my, my story uh, has been communicated uh, for 43 years now. I've believe it's 43. Uh, and uh, it, it has really uh, not changed. I have not embellished it or taken away from it. I never wanted to be anything but a preacher. Wow. I have uh, been in the church, uh, particularly the Baptist church all of my life. And from the time I came to grasp what was going on in the church and to know what was what church really was, uh, like most of us, well, I won't say most of us, but those of us in the African-American ex experience know what it's like to be uh, taken to church against our will and made to endure uh, all day church and Wednesday church and vacation Bible school. And yes. those were my experiences. And I did not fully come to grasp what all of that meant uh, initially, but about I, I would venture to say for me, five or six years old, wow. I began to put it together. I began to make a distinction between the different areas and different, uh, as we would say, going on in the church. And um, I, I, my attraction was to the pulpit. I, and so, Everything for me, literally, from the time I was baptized, I think at eight, uh, I knew I wanted to, I, 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 again, I did not fully understand what to prove it was, what to preach meant. I didn't fully grasp that, but I knew I wanted to occupy that space. Okay. I knew I wanted to be in that space. I did not know about any restrictions, prohibitions, or just 
banishment for women. I did not know that the pulpit was off limits for women. I was five, six, seven, eight growing up in the church. But at that time, my dentist was male. My doctor was male. Uh, Most of my teachers in elementary school and junior high were male. So uh, I came up in kind of a patriarchal world where men were out about working, doing the work. In my mind, my young mind, my very young mind, I, I said, well, surely women are out here but in my limited confines of Denver, Colorado, I just figured I had not encountered them yet. But I said, surely there's some women preachers or there's some women doctors or women dentists, women teachers, but I just have not encountered them yet. I did not come to know that uh, according to my pastor, The Bible says that women should not preach until I was 12 years old. I, reading the Bible, thought that 12 years old was the age where you told people you were called to preach. And so I waited until August the 7th, at the time I turned 12, and I told my pastor, I said, I want to be a preacher. That was the first indication that I had that women did not preach. When and I was going to say, what was the response to that declaration? He absolutely, he, absolutely, he, he said just like that, women do not preach. Oh. He said, women do not preach. That was my pastor. That was the pastor who, no, he wasn't the pastor who baptized me, but he was the pastor who uh, I would say had the most influence on me. And at 12 years old, when I told him that I want to be a preacher, um, that was the first indication I heard that women did not preach. Hmm. And uh, it did not strike me as odd. I accepted it. When he said it, I said, okay. I said, okay, well, what's next? What, What is the next occupation? So for me, it was medicine or law. Okay. Um, and so uh, I said, well, then it's doctor or lawyer. Now, keep in mind, I hadn't seen a woman doctor or woman lawyer yet. But okay. I, was, I said, well, if I can't be a preacher, uh, doctor or lawyer. Mm-hmm. I think I was 16, getting ready to go to college. Uh, and a woman by the name of Mae Buchanan spoke at our church for what I would come to understand as Missionary Sunday. Uh, She did not uh, preach from the pulpit. They made her stand on the floor. They called her Sister Mae. Uh, Rest in peace. Uh, They called her Sister Mae, but she preached like I'd never heard preaching before. And I said, well, what was that if not preaching? (laughs) Uh, So in a matter of a week almost, I I went to another pastor, told him 
the response was, I guess, what is it, 360 when you come full circle. Okay. Uh, and the rest is history. Okay. He said, he said, well, if God is calling you to preach, then you have to preach. Oh. And, and so uh, the path, it took a different turn. Instead of going to the University of uh, Colorado as a pre-med student, I headed off to Bishop College as a religion and philosophy major. Okay. Uh, now, how was that? Because now I've met quite a few Bishop grads, and I can imagine that if you were in, in that uh, setting that you still probably experience a little bit of the 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 male patriarchy going on in that system. If if you came in saying that you were going to be a preacher, well, it 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 it, it was, and the um, the traps, and we can talk about those a little later. Uh, the traps were being laid, but. Uh, God was in it from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, the pastor I went to um, to tell him uh, that I was called to preach happened to be my godfather, uh, Dr. M.C. Williams, Murphy Cleophus Williams, pastor of New Hope Baptist Church in Denver, Colorado. Now, oddly enough, I did not go to him first because something in me just made me fearful of him and his response and what he would say. So I did not go to him first. I went to my pastor at the time, Asen Phillips, who was a son of M.C. Williams. And uh, so I went to M.C. Williams told him he was quite receptive. He was also a graduate, not just a graduate, but an honored graduate, kind of, he kind of was revered on the campus of Bishop College among preachers. So, uh, so he, he said, you're not only gonna preach, but you're going to Bishop College. And so, as I say, within a week, I went from the University of Colorado to Bishop College, but I went uh, with some kind of providential backup or some providential help gotcha. mm -hmm. uh, because uh, M.C. Williams called Dr. Milton King Curry, who was the president. He called Dr. John D. Mangrum, who was the chairman of the Department of Religion, and he called Harry S. Wright who was the dean of the chapel. And uh, basically what he said, she's coming. I don't want any problems. Mm. And so, uh, so I came and uh, there I was on the campus. Now, I also came, I guess, kind of deconstructing or demythologizing whatever image or vision they had concocted of what a woman preacher would look like. Uh, it seems as if they had an image of a woman wearing, you know, a dress down to the 
ground carrying a big Bible, uh, walking <laughs> around um, quoting scripture all the time. But the week before I came, not the week before, the weekend before I was scheduled to be at Bishop, I had just run in, uh, in a, a, a national track meet at, in, in, in Pennsylvania, at the University of Pennsylvania. It wasn't, it wasn't the Penn Relays, but it was at the University of Pennsylvania. And uh, so I came, you know, not with a, a dress down to the ground, but I came with, you know, a big USA track suit, red and blue, red, white, and blue, because, you know, I, we ran for USA. Right, and right. So I had my USA uh, track suit on, and I had a couple of medals around my neck, because I, like I say, the track meeting just happened. I think we were scheduled to be, I was scheduled to be there uh, on Tuesday. So I, I was still wearing, you know, the medals that I have won. <laughs> so that, that, that kind of uh, changed a lot uh, in, in, uh, in people's minds and in their image uh, when I arrived on the campus of Bishop. So, uh, so uh, and, and I want to, I want to say it did not, Bishop was, uh, for me, the best experience I have ever had in life, being at Bishop College in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I have not had a better experience in life uh, than I had at Bishop College. Why say uh, you? I'm curious. I can't yes. wait to hear this. Challenging, yes. Um, but I did not have, and I can literally say, I did honestly say, I did not have um, a bad experience. Okay. I knew who the preachers were mm -hmm. who were not accepting. But even those who were not accepting of women were not hostile or mean-spirited. Now, do you do you think that's because of some of the support that you had going in and the champions that you had for you in that as you entered that space, or how how do you think that came to be? I absolutely do think it was uh, because, uh, as I say, M.C. Williams had made those calls. Dr. Mangrum had, you know, literally set the tone. Um, and I think I think that, and coupled with just this, you know, difference than you know what they thought a woman preacher was going to be, uh, all of, all of those things work together. Were you allowed to participate in class? I, I've heard stories of some women in seminaries, and because the professor may not. Uh, affirm women, the, the way that they were treated in the class, they felt like there was a distinction. Did you experience any of that? I wish I could say, now, that was the case at Bishop. Now, that was not the case. As a matter of fact, I felt it was, for me, at Bishop, uh, it was sort of, I, I think I put more pressure on myself 
at Bishop mm -hmm. because it's, it's sort of like uh, the only Negro syndrome. <laughs> yeah. You know, you yeah. have to be twice as good, right. work twice as hard, yeah. do twice as much. And that, and, and whether that was the expectation, I put that kind of pressure on myself. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I, I, and I, I kind of felt in several classes that the expectation was that I would all, if I was, I did not want to run the risk of being called on mm -hmm. and, and not, not, be prepared. Prepared, not yeah. being prepared. I didn't want to run the risk of not getting an A. Right. And and then having it said, see, women can't even study. You know, women right. can't even get the grade. So, uh, so I I kind I think I put more pressure on myself than uh, the professors or or the other students did because I did not want I did not want to I did not want to give them anything. Mm -hmm. So for me, I went from the class to the library, to the cafeteria, right. back to the library, to the yeah. dorm. That was my ritual while I was at Bishop uh, because I, I did not want to run the risk of them saying that a woman couldn't cut it, a woman couldn't make it. I was kind of making a name for myself on campus. Mm -hmm. I do need to mention that while at Bishop, I, I I preached. I did not preach at all. There were oh. no churches in the Dallas community where I was able to preach. So I was on I was on Bishop College campus, and and you know these are Bishop was uh, the reputation was yes. for turning out preachers. So and they would send preachers around the kind of the state. They would send preachers around. Yeah. The uh, the guys were, you know, they were running revival while they were supposed to be in class. They preaching everywhere, preaching every Sunday, doing this, doing that. But so there were no pulpits open to almost the last, my last semester when I received the phone call from Floyd Harris, who was a pastor of Mount Tabor Baptist Church right across the street from Bishop. And he invited me to preach. Uh, and that was my first, that was my first preaching opportunity, uh, other than my senior sermon, other than my senior mm -hmm. sermon, which mm -hmm. was required of every graduating senior. So wow. uh so that that uh kind of made me work harder, prepare harder, uh, because uh, one thing for me. And I, you know, I don't know how linear this conversation is or needs to be, but one thing for me, I never doubted that God had called me to preach. That's great. I, I heard, I, I was as certain of my call and, and am as certain of my call to preach as I am my salvation to Christ. Wow. That's good. I know. I know that I am saved mm -hmm. and I know that I am called. Wow. Yes, that's good. So I never doubted it. So for me, again, I knew that the preaching opportunities would come. And I would tell myself at Bishop, I don't want the door to open and not be prepared. 
So, so how did you prepare yourself? If you were not get, getting the opportunities to preach, how did you prepare? I uh, continued to write sermons because, see, I had to take preaching courses at mm -hmm. Bishop. Mm -hmm. and, and I should say, I did get to preach in class. In class. Know? Yeah, no, no. And we did. We had to take uh, uh, introduction to speech and all that. And there were speaking opportunities, uh, although there were not preaching opportunities. Right. So I continued once I learned, you know, how to write sermons, how to prepare sermons. I would I would do what I still do now. I would prepare as if I am preaching. Okay. Because again, I didn't want, I knew a call was going to come. Mm -hmm. And I did not want to be unprepared when the call came. And 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 it turned out, although it was Four years in the making, I was right because as soon as I got to seminary, for some reason, I mean, I it was preaching nonstop. So, Doctor Knight, let's talk about um, your style. You, your how how did you um, develop your style of preaching? Um, can you know, one of the things we, we always hear about is this need for finding your voice. A preacher needs to have their authentic voice. And sometimes that can be challenging. Um, and I'm just kind of curious how that was for you. Again, not having very many female uh, role models. Well, it was it was difficult because most, uh, most of us who preach, uh, I believe, uh, start off imitating somebody, either a pastor who is in front of us every Sunday or a pastor that we admire. So we, we do start off imitating somebody because we don't, we don't know what else to do. Uh, so everybody, and that they'll deny it initially, but <laughs> everybody starts off preaching like somebody else. <laughs> and it, it's in seminary. It's mm -hmm. in the classroom where we learn to discover our voice. We learn what works for us and what, what doesn't. And, um, and it was difficult for me uh, for two reasons. One, my voice itself uh, is a couple of registers lower than most women. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, even though there weren't a lot of women preachers mm -hmm. around for me to listen and look at their presentation, there were gifted women speakers around gotcha. and I gravitated very quickly to them okay uh and particularly Barbara Jordan oh was yes. a big yes. uh, influence on my style my uh delivery my timing uh because she was such a actually raised in the Baptist church and such a gifted speaker yes uh and so uh and could move uh people with her voice mm -hmm. so i started out uh 
uh, I say I want to be like Barbara George, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, initially, uh, and this this many many years ago. So uh, if you were to hear me, you know, back when I first started out, fifteen sixteen, uh, really until I was about twenty five, you would say I sounded just like Barbara George. I guess I was just like her because I, with, in, with intentionality, I was trying to be be her. I was trying to, uh, you know, she has that slow mm -hmm. southern drawl that yes. I was drawn to. But uh, my what I was, what I discovered in in my speaking is that I don't speak slow. I speak kind of with a little more rapid pace mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. i had to make that adjustment but uh barbara jordan shirley chisholm i mm. listened to them mm -hmm. uh because they were women who like i say could move audiences with uh their their voice then i came to seminary and uh heard prathia hall oh uh, yes she was Prathia Hall Wynn at the time that mm -hmm. I heard it, but she, uh, uh, we know her as Prathia Hall. And uh, and when I first heard Prathia, though, uh, she had not, uh, she was not, she was not Reverend Prathia Hall. Okay. She started uh, just working in SNCC and so forth and so mm -hmm. on before she decided that, you know, ministry and preaching was what she wanted to do. And I heard her <clears throat> doing some things with SNCC, uh, Martin Luther King, uh, because at that time uh, I had uh, moved to uh, New York. I was in seminary and working for Dr. Uh, Wyatt T. Walker. And he had uh, her come to Canaan on several occasions. And uh, so, uh, and at that time, she was studying at Princeton, I think, for a PhD and so forth. So, uh, so by then, I had an idea of, you know, what it was like for a woman to stand behind the sacred desk, as we call it, and right. actually preach. But Barbara George, Shirley Chisholm, those were, those were my models. So, what would, what advice would you give to a young woman today uh, entering um, ministry, entering uh, uh, this life of of being a trumpeteer and preaching? What 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 would you what advice would you give a young woman today? Well, there are so many many uh, things that have changed, uh, and. You know, I, I'm kind of, sometimes I get kind of frustrated because if, if I were where I was back then, where I am now with all of the wonderful models, I mean, women pastors in every denomination, and I, I know of not one denomination, and some do not recognize them still, but they're still pastors in the denominations. And so women can be more intentional about who mentors them. There are so many women who have succeeded in ministry uh, and who are doing 
excellent work in ministry and in 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 social justice ministry in parachurch ministries mm -hmm. and there are women who are succeeding i mean i would just i would just love to have had one woman uh, <laughs> that I could call and talk to. But now there are so many mm -hmm. and you can just pick up the phone and ask them to, you know, can I get some help or ask some questions? There are women's conferences. I didn't know anything about a women's conference. I didn't know anything about uh, denominations. There were, the, in the Baptist, there were, that you know, the National Baptist Convention had the, women's department and the youth department but uh now you have uh uh denominations who have women in ministry so that women in ministry can get the support the resources the tools uh that they need to to be successful so i say to young women now uh because to me there is uh and and I know I can be a harsh critic sometimes, but I say that there's just no excuse. You know, there's just there's just no excuse. How I wish I had uh, uh, a Cynthia Hill in the pulpit that I could see Sunday after Sunday, or, or a Gina Stewart, or a Vastai McKenzie that I could see literally sitting in the pulpit Sunday after Sunday, and they stand up, and they're the preacher, they're the voice, they're the voice. I, I, I didn't have that. When, when women spoke in my day, it was a special occasion. It was Women's Day or Mission Sunday, and they did not, they, they spoke lower, not upper. They did not, speak, <laughs> uh, you know, from the pulpit. They spoke from the floor. But uh, I, I, you know, I would have just loved that. It would have made a tremendous difference to me just seeing a, a, a woman sitting in the middle chair as right. pastor. Right. A woman's name on the bulletin right. as senior pastor. So the advice I would give is seek out that which you're trying to be, you know, seek that, you know, and, 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 and again, thank God, now you can do it in female form. Uh, I knew when I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a head and heart preacher. I wanted to be one who was intellectual and inspirational. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Charles Adams did that for me, mm -hmm. but again, yeah. that was that was you know yeah. that was that was what I wanted to be, and that's when I saw it in him. That's the way I gravitate. Now I didn't imitate his style, you know. He's called the Harvard Hooper and all that. I didn't I didn't imitate that, but in terms of writing and preparing mm -hmm. and the the intellect, I want the scholarship. I wanted to bring to my sermonizing. I got all of that from Charles G. Adams. But now I, you know, uh, I, you know, if I could just, I mean, just there's so many things that I wish I could have gotten from women, but there were no women around, you know. Mm -hmm. And now uh women can see that women can dress differently. You know, most of the women I 
I came the war around. When I came up, we did what the men did. Men wore black and white. We wore black and white, you know. Uh, and and now you have women just, they bring the full expression. I call it the full expression, the feminine expression of the Godhead yes. to, to the pulpit. Yes. I mean, in the, in the colors they wear, in the hair, in the cues, just everything. And then in the message, you yes. know, we see the full, the totality of who God is and what God wants to communicate. And so I, I say that women, um, you know, uh, and, and be, be intentional about finding a, a, a woman to mentor you and to bring you along. And, yeah. and let me ask you that. I love that, uh, being, you know, being intentional, looking for that which you want to be, right? Looking, right. seeking it out. But also you just said something about bringing that whole feminine expression. I mean, God calls us in who we are, right? So yeah. we're called in our femininity. Um, and as, as we've been talking about this, God calls us in our femininity, but, um, and so as we've been talking about this, one of the things that strikes me too, and, and you kind of said this, uh, is that it, it also comes through in the sermons. And, right. and so in your opinion, how do you think that the voice of women in the pulpit, um, what impact does that have on the hearer? Uh, on their understanding of God uh, or their understanding of who God is calling us to be? Uh, I think it has tremendous, um, uh, tremendous impact and influence. Again, I think the, the resistance that was probably at a thousand percent when I, I was coming along, you know, we, I mean, there were just people who just, simply could not hear uh, a, a woman's voice. They could, it, 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 you know, I, I had people tell me that my voice just did not sound good in their ear. It didn't matter what I was saying. It didn't right. matter the presentation, the word itself. They just could not tolerate the voice of a woman. So I think that that, that that wall, uh, not is not it, we we haven't knocked it down like they did in in Berlin several years ago. But I think we I think we I think we're knocking it down. I think mm -hmm. we're, we're we're chipping away at it. And I think that it is very important um, to hear. Uh, uh, and when you talk, I mean, I'm I'm talking now just the 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 voice the voice itself mm -hmm. to hear because you know as women we nurture we nurture we nurture and to hear a loving soothing voice who god is mm. that is part of who god is a loving god a compassionate god yeah you know you know yes he's a warrior yes he's a king yes he's a mighty battle act but we also need to know that as an eagle stirs their nest, so God feeds and loves yes, us. Yes, and so yes. We need to hear that. We need to hear the feminine, feminine voice of God. Mm -hmm. And the feminine voice of God does not distract 
from the male voice, the masculine voice of God. And we know that from the languages. We take Greek, we study Greek, we look at the Hebrew, we look at the, the feminine, feminine of uh, use and the, and the masculine use. And it does not make God any less than who God is. It makes God complete in who God is. Oh, that's it great. makes God whole. And there is some sense in which the church and the pulpit and preaching cannot be who they are intended to be until we hear all of God. Oh, I love and that. And so in my mind, we've only heard just hearing male preachers is great, but it's not all of who God is. Yeah, yeah. Now that we're beginning to hear women, we're getting a fuller picture of who God really is. I love that. Both mother and father. Yeah. Both mother and father, male and female. So, so like I say, I great preachers, male great preachers. We know them. We know them. We they've been a part of our experience. They they are the backdrop of our history. But now that we hear have these these strong women preaching the gospel, not just on special occasion, but we're getting a steady diet mm -hmm. of, 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 of the feminine voice of God. And it's, 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 it's helping us to understand who God really is and who God really wants us to be. Sometimes as women, we may tend to think about what we don't have, uh, as opposed to, like you said, how far we have already come and to really begin to take advantage of where we are today and how we can continue to move that forward, because that is God's will for the kingdom. It is God's will that, that um, men and women come together working in this space um, to bring about justice, to bring about uh, wholeness and restoration. It, it, it is how we all are to come together, mutually submitting to God and mutually submitting to one another. Yeah. And it absolutely just gets better, stronger, wiser when men and women come together. It's, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, again, it doesn't distract from the church or ministry. I, I can't find one person, one person who can tell me, and I've asked this question, uh, of any harm or any damage or any, any the, that the church is less because women are in the pulpit. Most of they will tell you it's, it's getting stronger. It's getting better. More work is getting done. More sermons are being preached. More souls are being saved. So mm -hmm. it does not distract, it, it makes us stronger. Uh, you know, what Ecclesiastes says, you know, a cord is not, a, a three strong cord is not easily, easily broken. broken. So Amen. Men and women together will just be stronger together. Amen. So, um, you know, so I think, I think we're on our way. I'm, I'm grateful that it's so much better than when I came along. Uh, there's, there's still many, many, many challenges, but, uh, you know, uh, I think it's, it's getting better. I think it will continue to get better. Uh, 
uh, as women continue to move into these sacred spaces previously reserved only for men. Amen. I think it will get stronger. Amen. Amen. Well, again, thank you for joining us, Dr. Uh, Knight. And thank you all for joining us today. Stay tuned for all the brand new episodes coming to you weekly from our incredible team of co-hosts. In the meantime, go to the show notes and learn how you can follow and support the new members of our pet, our, excuse me, of our podcast family. And be sure to follow CBE International on Facebook and Twitter. You can also go to the website at www.cbeinternational.org for even more content. Subscribe to our blog, magazine, and academic journals. Watch videos and listen to audio of past conferences and events. And you can go visit our bookstore where you can find a ton of talented authors and subjects that will enrich in your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, and class. I am Reverend Dr. Angela Raven-Anderson. And I am so uh, grateful for you tuning in today. And I'd also like to give a special shout out to Landon, who's our support tech, and to the entire team of CBE International that makes this podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.